Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 343. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M. And I am Jamie Frevely, also known as Agent... Not picking an alias yet. Still deciding. <laughs> okay, okay. Still deciding. You've got all the time in the world. But uh, <laughs> this week, not a lot going on in terms of news. We've got a holiday weekend coming up, so it's been a little bit quiet. We've got a couple things on the comics end that we'll get to a little bit later in the show. But our interview for this week is a fun one that we had a lot of... Uh, Jamie and I really enjoyed doing it. It's with Kevin Smith. Let's see, what else? Oh, last week I forgot to talk about what I was doing when I was in L.A. not too long ago. It was a little free library event, and that happened in L.A. at a community center in one of the neighborhoods in L.A. where Disney and Marvel and the LAPD and the community came together to produce a little free library. It's this uh, this company uh, group called Little Free Library, where they provide libraries to neighborhoods that need them in really cool ways, like pop up ones or like permanent established. Permanent, yeah, oh, permanent places where you you know people in the neighborhood, mostly kids, can go grab a book, bring it back. It was this event that was one of the coolest things I've ever done at Marvel. I got there and they told me this story about a kid in the neighborhood named Semi Vici, and Semi was a little kid who was, you know, going to school one day. He he and his mom met a cop and just became friends with the cop and had this great thing and, and great rapport in the neighborhood and uh it was a t- it's a tense neighborhood. There's a lot there's gang activity, there's, you know, things going on and then everybody found out Semi had a brain tumor. Oh. Uh, and he was really sick. And the cops rallied for around him. The community rallied around him. Semi wanted to be a police officer and he wanted to go to Disneyland. So the LAPD worked with the community, worked with Disney. They got him a police uniform in his size. Oh, no. They swore him in uh, like an honorary uh, officer. So awesome. And they brought him to Disneyland for a day to sort of like be uh, security and let him run around the park and do all the stuff. And it's just this amazing story of bridging all these gaps through this one amazing kid. Unfortunately, Semi passed away. Uh, he was sick. But Semi just did so much by his personality and his positivity and the light that he brought to everyone around him. He galvanized this community in such a way that it opened doors, it it broke down barriers, it brought everyone together. And so this event, part of what was done was this little free library was dedicated to Semi. There's a little plaque that says, you know, dedicated to Semi and Semi Strong and all the officers who knew him were there at part of this event. And so they didn't tell Semi's mom about this and they, you know, did this whole speech and talked about the event and talked about Semi and she was there. And then they brought her up and they said, well, we're dedicating this. And she broke down. It was just this beautiful thing. And then Captain America came in. We had Captain America show up and take pictures with all the kids, take pictures with all the officers, all the officers hanging. You watching the officers and the kids and the parents and the people there just being part of this wonderful community was so cool. Brandon T. Snyder, who we've had on the show previously, he was there. Uh, it was part of it. He did a reading from his Cosmic Quest book. Uh, and, Very and he, cool. I want to thank uh, the officers Hernandez and Stockline and, and the people from Disney, Cynthia, and, and everyone who helped organize this. It's really something special. It reminds me that what matters is how these stories, how these characters affect the people who read them, who experience them, and the ways that we can help touch Marvel fans, be they five years old, 10 years old, 
40 years old, 60 years old. It doesn't matter. What it does, what what these characters and stories do for for everyone and for all of you listening, that's what matters. And that's really important. Thing. Yeah, and shout out to everyone who made all of Semi's dreams come true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. In probably a limited amount of time and that kid's going to have a legacy that lasts forever. It was great. Uh, there's some photos from the event on marvel.com. Uh, we posted them a little while ago, so you'll, you might have to scroll a little bit. Maybe we can put the link into the, the show notes and the, the news article. Yeah. That would be really great. Jamie, before we started recording, pointed out that, of course, Solo, A Star Wars Story is out in theaters yes. this week. I'm excited. I want to see it. But the I, I wanted to make sure we let you guys know, if you are hyped for solo and if you're like us super duper hyped for lando calrissian there is a five issue lando series written by rodney barnes art by paolo villanelli which starts may 30th and that actually leads right into solo so it's telling lando's story you know up to the events of solo so if you get hyped for the movie make sure you check out the comic book what is it that's like a week away. May the 30th be with you. <laughs> All right. I think we should dive into um, our picks of the week. Can we please? Yeah. So for those of you who want to make sure you know what the books are before we start talking about them, first is Black Panther number one. That's one of my picks. Jamie has picked Moon Knight number 195. Yeah, I did. Uh, and then I picked, but also Jamie almost picked yeah. Doctor Strange number 390. So read those. Pause the podcast if you need to. Check them out because... We're, we're going to talk about some fun stuff and I'm going to kick us off with Black Panther number one and right from the start, I talked about this on Marvel's The Pull List, right from the start, this team is putting on a clinic. They are on point. This issue is written by Tanahasi Coates, who's now, uh, you know, two-ish years into writing Black Panther. This is art by all art. So that's the pencils, inks, colors, and whatever form he uses. He's kind of like this digital mastermind. Daniel Acuna and lettering by Joe Sabino. This is the story of the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. Book one of this saga is called Many Thousands Gone. And when I say that this is a saga, I mean that in the coolest sense. I remember last January in the creative retreat for comics where Tanahasi laid out his extensive plans and the way this was going to go. And it's amazing. This has just like such stunning art to go with Tanahasi's story. Daniel Cunha is one of those artists whose art looks like nothing else on the stands. Because he's the, the artist doing all facets of what you see, he gives himself leeway to... I don't know, create a singular vision. It's just really, really wonderful. His colors pop. You know, he, he knows how to use neons, these purples, these pinks, these blues, then throw in some yellows, some oranges, find ways to go into more subtle places in different pages to make things stand out in really unique ways. He does great emotion for characters' faces. He also draws aliens in such cool ways. There's tons and tons of aliens because T'Challa is in space. And the the... The wild thing here is we sort of open up with a first page that says this is the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. We look at a little piece from Marvel Legacy, the one shot from last year, which was a big mystery, sort of what does that mean? And then you you flip the page and you see Storm, Storm, you know, basically saying, come back to me, come back home. And then you open up on T'Challa waking up from this dream 
and he's like there's klaxon blaring and you see him with aliens and prisoners and the story unfolds of t'challa is imprisoned t'challa is without his black panther armor he is a man who is sort of trying to figure out what the hell is going on and he keeps thinking about storm it's like this anchor in his mind but we come to find out he's lost his memory he doesn't know where he is he's somewhere far far away what this does is give T'Challa some really interesting challenges to overcome. There's an There's action panel pages. that's just so, so cool. This one. Oh, yeah. With him running. He'd... He's just, it's just a, like a badass shot. Yeah. He <laughs> takes down like... numerous people in, in, in one escape attempt. But, you know, it's not that simple to get away. There's other parts later on where... You see, even though he doesn't have his memory, even though he doesn't have the armor or anything, he is still like one of the greatest heroes. There's, there's some really amazing like moments where he steps up, where he doesn't need to in, in awesome ways. I am very excited by what's coming on here. Even in this first issue, introducing new alien races, whole societal ideals, different factions, just immense ideas coming from Tanahasi, Daniel, and the team. Uh, and, you know, at the last page, sometimes, you know, we put these pages that give a little background information, different things. We've got a page here that gives some introductions into the different factions here. So you've got Imperials, Miners, Ascari, the Rebels, designs from Daniel Cunha, and, and really saying, like, this is not a Black Panther story you've seen before. This is not a Black Panther story uh, that you're ready for. And I am... I'm crazy excited for you guys to see more. I know what the plan is. I cannot wait. What I'm noticing about just the art, too, uh, Daniel Cunha has a way with lighting. 100%. The lighting is, it stands out because there are just little accents or big panels where it's just bright. And I don't know how you get that to look like that in two dimensions on a piece of paper, but it just illuminates like literally the issue in ways that make a space issue kind of extra fun because in space it's generally dark and <laughs> it's a little scary and whenever you see lighting you know it's man-made artificial or alien made in this case it's a cool looking issue and uh as far as like taking t'challa to a place he's never been i think it's only fair that we take someone who's up for the challenge someplace really challenging you know Tanahasi could have just kept going with what he was doing with Black Panther, you know, establishing, reestablishing who Black Panther is, Wakanda, his circle. You, he could have done a whole arc just exploring, again, the romance with Storm. And he friggin' takes it to space yeah. and just turns everything on its ear. It's so good. He took us where no Black Panther has gone before. <laughs> so, Moon Knight, number 195. This is like a melatonin nightmare of for the ages. I'm still super into Moon Knight, still super totally want to get on Marvel Unlimited and find out everything I can about Moon Knight. But this issue, uh, written by Max Bemis, artist Paul Davidson, color by Matt Lopez, and letterer Corey Petit, it's so crazy, you guys. And even Moon Knight at some point just says, so weird. No, no there's, a, there's a one panel where someone's running away from what's going on and just going, just run away. It's just so weird. <laughs> and it's um, basically Mark Spector as the Moon Knight is going, he gets, he 
confronts the hive mind, which is something that looks like sort of a cult. They probably call themselves seekers. One of them is a man bun. So it's probably taking place in Brooklyn. (laughs) It's just these these quirky different personalities who all feel a little bit weird disenfranchised with life and they you know they come together to try to find ways to create a collective mind which is an interesting like thought but uh yeah this is led by a guy named maurice who looks like a guy you'd run into in a you know a micro brewery with a really pretentious mustache and a newsboy cap and he probably uses beard oils but yeah the hive mind goes terribly wrong what happens well we go from the terrible experiment gone wrong to uh, the inner thinking of Mark Spector and his various personalities. And they're really just kind of having a conversation. But then we find out he's at the movies with Marlene. And he's the kind of moviegoer I hate. Yeah, he is the worst. He's checking his phone. He's talking. You know. I just want to throw up all over him. I, you know, last time I dove into Moon Knight, um, I was like, oh, yeah, Mark Spector, hunky Jewish man, love it. Uh, he's losing me here <laughs> by his behavior. I'm like, this is unacceptable. Yeah. He's just being the worst. But So he leaves. Good for him. He leaves because he's getting an alert. There's something going on. So he garbs up as Moon Knight, and he heads to the Hall of Science. And this is where everything is going Awry? Yeah. But, but uh, there's the, the panel that you talked about where uh, there's like a, a woman in a trench coat, maybe a scientist, yeah. I can't really tell. But she's like, run away. It's so, so weird. weird. It's... Uh, which I love. But then the cops are like, hey, you, stop. You know, you can't go in there. It's against the law, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the cops whispers to the other guy, Jerry, don't mess with that guy. It's the crazy one. He cuts people's faces off. And, and like, then the other cop's like, science that way. That way. That way. Which is true. Moon Knight has definitely cut people's faces off. You do not want to mess with him. Okay. Uh, and, you know, it's just normal you know, normal course of business. That's you know, what you do. Tone setting. You got yeah. to set the tone. So um, Moon Knight does some fighting. He tries to find out what's going on. And then he finds the most Clive Barker-looking nightmare, which says we are now composed of at least 32 New Yorkers, which is a terrifying thought. Yeah. we got to give huge shout-outs to Paul Davidson here. Paul does weird really, really well. Jamie, I want to suggest you read a book called X Club. Okay. Uh, X Club, super cool uh, book. It was written by Cy Spurrier. Cy Spurrier currently writing the Star Wars Dr. Aphra book, but he's done a ton and ton of things. And he just wrote a book about a weird science team of X-Men. And Paul did the art, and it's just so gnarly and cool. And I, like, I've just been waiting for him to come back and do more work. And so seeing his art here made me so happy. It's amazing. It's like, where do you find this in your psyche and then translate? Like, how do you channel it onto a page? It's nuts. I want to see what the script page is for this one to see, you know, how much of it is Max sort of saying, this is what I'm looking for. How much of it is Paul just going deep and and crushing it? Um, I feel like this is a good case of trust your artist. Yeah. Yes. Write down a thing and then trust your artist because this is... Horror, horrific. It's it's horror movie in like the most grotesque, artistic kind of way. Yeah, like this is gothic art, eighties 
insanity yeah. and it's just the best. As awesome as that first shot, that that first single splash page of the collective is, uh, there's two pages later is my favorite panel of any comic this week, which is the collective laughing. And so you have <laughs> the the letters, the ha 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 ha, like behind it, and then the collective laughing, and it is horrible. It's it is so disgusting, disgusting, and I love it so much. And then, of course, Moon Knight in the panel just like just says that's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> which I think he speaks for all of us. Yep. Uh, this is also a great issue to jump into Moon Knight if you have not read Moon Knight. This yeah. is you don't need to know anything past what you get on the page here, what is given to you, what is in the recap. Like this is an easy entry point into yeah. the world of Moon Knight, and I think this is sort of exactly what you want to check out. Yeah, I think for someone like me who's finding Moon Knight. Recently, because the last issue was a standalone issue that had no- nothing to do with the storyline, which is still really interesting and gave you some background. Like, this is a great issue that it establishes the tone for Moon Knight. Like, you can tell what kind of character he is and what kind of adventures and fights he has. And this is not a Captain America. This is not a Thor. This is definitely not Black Panther. It's its, its own thing. Like Ryan said... um, I didn't need to know much about Moon Knight, but I want to find out more. On to our last book of the week, which is Doctor Strange number 390. This is the final issue from friend of the show, Donnie Cates, writer, artist, Fraser friggin' Irving. Holy crap, yes. Letter, Corey Petit. Now, why am I so excited for Fraser Irving? We don't get a lot of art by Fraser. He is... He's like on a different plane of existence. Like, did he do art. some inhuman stuff? He definitely did some inhuman okay, stuff. Okay, because yeah. that's where I recognize this style, which is beautiful and different and surrealist a little bit. Yeah. He, like Daniel Cunha, does all his art chores. It's it's a, the book is all him on the art, which allows for a lot of singular expression and design thought ways to utilize the space in the best way possible. So, you know, backgrounds can be certain colors that focus in on, you know, you can have this like sort of plain background and a building and a character in the foreground and then something really striking. Like in the first couple of pages, you got Spider-Man and yeah. he's so striking. And he's it, so red. Yeah, he's so <laughs> he's red. He's so red. And I, I love the way he draws Spider-Man. You know, we get Spider-Man and his mask and you've got bats in the book. Uh, we see Zelma come in and Zelma has been a really important part of the last couple of years of Doctor Strange and she wants to have a conversation with Strange because she needs to sort of say her piece, get some stuff off her chest and Strange is, you know, he's kind of a jerk. He sort of runs away from his problems sometimes. He doesn't deal with everything but he's he's figuring out where he's going to go in life. Uh, Spider-Man is right in the middle of things and has then one of my favorite interactions and things in comics this week. It's Spider-Man watching this conversation, getting a little bit like weirded out because it's kind of awkward. And then he sees bats. This is the best. (laughs) It is. And he goes, oh man, is that a ghost dog? Yes. And then Bats says, oh God, is that Spider-Man? And it's the two of them. Just freaking out about each other, which is exactly how I would be in either of their shoots. Like, if I saw a ghost dog, I don't know what I would do. I would probably explode from joy and want to do exactly what Spider-Man wants to do, which is pet it and can't. Can we also just mention that 
Bats, in the beginning of his appearance in this, he is sleeping with a Spider-Man toy. He is. He loves Spider-Man so much. It's the best. It's so so adorable. One point, you know, Spidey's like, bye, Ghost Dog. And Bats is like, bye, Spider-Man. It's just so great. But they have this conversation and Spider-Man is there. One, because he wanted to use the bathroom at the Sanctum Sanctorum. Two, because he wants to ask Doctor Strange a little question. He wants to know if Doctor Strange can let him talk to a spider. It's this whole thing. It's friggin' it's so weird. It's so funny. It's so funny. We're um, looking at the same page and uh Yeah. The the <laughs> series of panels where Strange and Spider Man are talking and Strange is like Do you want to talk to a spider? Peter and the bottom panel Peter's reaction face is Donnie like that to me is <laughs> Donnie's really like if Donnie didn't make that face when writing this then I don't know what's going on because I would have made the exact same face it's this one of like joy and uh, mischief and excitement and then we get to the open up the middle <laughs> spread of the so book great. is Peter talks to a spider by Donnie Cates and Chip Zdarsky and it is amazing. It's Spider-Man in a, a sweater talking to a big old spider, having a conversation. I will not spoil anything about it. It is a delight for two pages. Great. We, we wrap up Spider-Man's bit with a bunch of jokes. Donnie, you know what you're doing. You're writing your Spider-Man. I can't wait for someday you do your Spider-Man story because it's going to be dope. But here is the emotional crux of this book is Zelma and Strange finally hashing through all their business, which is really great. It, this book is is wonderful that we get a, a solid ending to this chapter in Stephen's life, in his relationships, the things that are going on, and you let him move on to what his next stage will be. Last couple of pages are all silent, and it just lets Fraser go to town. I, I implore you, uh, read this book. If you've not been reading Doctor Strange, then shame on you. But also, you can pick this book up and get a wonderful story. And it, it ends on just such a sweet note. It's, uh, yeah. We got a, a goodbye note by Donnie. And what's coming up next for Doctor Strange is Strange Going to Space by Mark Wade and Jesus Saiz, which I can't wait for. Yeah, and I think Donnie's letter at the end is just excellent because he talks about how it felt to start doing Doctor Strange and he was talking to Jason Aaron about taking over this character and Jason Aaron gave him some really good advice and it was basically like make it your own it's yours now yeah and it's it's a beautiful story and I think I think today's writers when they take on these characters who have been around for decades like that's got to be intimidating that's what I always wonder when writers start working on new new books and new characters like how do you how do you do that? Like, what kind of weight is on your shoulders? Mm-hmm. But then again, it's now it's your job to take them to the next phase. So it's pressure, but it's also really exciting. So I was excited for Donnie Cates reading this. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. was because uh, this was a by far a really successful run. So good job, Donnie Cates. One request I have is to Donnie, if you ever write a Spider-Man series, please, please, please give Spider-Man some pocket spiders. That'll freak what? out everyone. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, there's the moment in the book where he's <laughs> like, right. do you have pocket spiders? And it's just my favorite concept, the favorite line. And a Spider-Man did that, like, I could see villains just, like, crapping their pants, just yeah. losing it. Ooh, ooh. Uh, all right. 
That's our comics for the week. But if you want to learn about all the new issues, Tucker, Marcus, and I talk about them on Marvel's The Pull List. Lots of books. Tucker's pick was Star Wars, The Last Jedi, adaptation number two. Real, real good. Let's see. What do we got next, Jamie? Let's Maybe we'll do some news? We'll do some news. Let's it, do some news. As we mentioned at the top of the show, it's a light news week because we're heading into a, a holiday weekend. So everybody be the real hero and be safe and take care of yourselves and be responsible while having tons and tons of fun on your long weekend. We do have some preview art for Ms. Marvel number 31 that you can check out at marvel.com. The art's by Gustavo Duarte and was posted by Saladin Ahmed. Who These images are so fun. It's a jam issue, so it's a lot of really great creators getting together for a slumber party. I love it. I love Solomon. It's going to be very, very cool. Yeah. It was announced this week that Wolverine, uh, the hunt for Wolverine Dead Ends, is coming August 29th by Charles Soule and Ramon Rosanas. And Dead Ends ties together all the Hunt for Wolverine stories into a single one-shot. So following all the different threads and all the different teams and all the different characters, they come together to really give a conclusion to each part of those stories, finding different pieces of the greater puzzle hunting for Wolverine. So they all assemble for this one to see what they all learn, but they may not like what they find. This will help us figure out where Wolverine has been, what he's been doing, all this other stuff. We recorded with Charles Soule this week for a future episode, so stay tuned for that. I'm excited for that. Actually, on that tip, we uh, recorded with Amy Reader and Brandon Montclair, yeah. uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur creators. We have Cheo Hodari Coker, showrunner of Marvel's Luke Cage. I shot an episode of... Marvel's Let's Play with Olivia Holt and Aubrey Joseph, star of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. We actually have a big episode of This Week in Marvel bonus stuff coming your way soon. It's got writers Jason Aaron, Donnie Cates, Jerry Duggan, Margie Stoll, and Mark Wade, all of them together talking about the big you know books that they've got on the way. Oh, one last uh, comic book bit I saw that Jim Zub had shared out. It's been floating around Twitter. Ironheart is going to have a new look, which is designed by Stefano Caselli. You'll see uh, her new costume in upcoming issues of Champions. But Jim, he said, quote, We wanted Riri's new design to give a nod to her Stark Tech slash Iron Man roots, but also show how she's coming to her own in terms of design and functionality. And it's, it's, it's cool. You can see that with uh, Amadeus Cho's new look, which we get revealed in the pages of Incredible Hulk that comes out this week. And uh, it's neat. I saw the art and I was like, oh, man, that's cool. I want to make sure we talk about it on the show. On Women of Marvel, we have Gillian Jacobs, who is talking about her favorite Marvel properties, um, which are Squirrel Girl and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, but she's also talking about women in STEM fields, so that's pretty fun. And also on Eat the Universe, they are making a rocket rice omelet with Marvel Universe Live hosts, so yeah. All right, our interview for this week's episode is Mr. Kevin Smith, as we talked about at the beginning. He has a new Showtime special called Silent But Deadly. It is available now. We watched it before the interview. It was a hoot, and as we'll talk about in the actual interview, he recorded the intro to the the special in the place where he almost died. Like, yeah, he literally walked off the stage and almost died of a massive heart attack. Yeah, who, like, of all the special, like, the times to record a special, he records a special. It's really funny. He gets off stage. He almost dies. It was this big thing. He's fine now. He looked healthy. He looked fantastic. Yeah. He, he talks about what he's been doing since recovering and kind of a 
new Zen outlook on life. Like yeah. it's a really fascinating, beautiful conversation that he has, which is why we just let him talk. Yeah, uh, we talk a lot about uh, some Daredevil stuff. Obviously, if you've never read his Guardian Devil storyline, so great, Joe Casada. I highly recommend it. It's really, really wonderful, and especially Joe's art, beautiful throughout. Um, yeah, yeah. Just sure. listen to the interview. Hope you dig it. Kevin, thanks for coming, man. Uh, it's an honor to be here, man. Uh, I see the show on on my Instagram feed all the time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Now, we we this week have watched uh, your new special, Kevin Smith, Silent but Deadly, which right. is available on Showtime, and it opens with you talking about the events, like moments after the show where you had the heart attack and right. and going through that and. Was it weird for you to go back and record that intro and 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 not kind of the outro as well in that space? Yeah, um, we did. We we like uh, we kind of bookended the show, which was shot the night that I had the heart attack, with me going back and being like, "Hey, I had a heart attack here," you know, just for historical significance. And then wrapping up, I told like stories about that night, like during the credits. So uh, we had to go back to the theater in Glendale to do it, and I guess it was about like a week, week and change, maybe two weeks since I had the heart attack. But it was strange. I was like, oh, my God, there's the couch where, like, you know, I almost died. Oh, my God, there's that chair where I was sitting when, you know, the firemen came in. And they're like, is that Silent Bob? You know, it was very it was it was kind of strange and surreal. But it was never an unpleasant experience. Like after the heart attack, they said uh, the doctors were like, you might experience depression. Apparently, after a heart attack, uh, victims can feel depressed uh, and go into a state of depression. But that hasn't happened. I've been waiting because I was like, what would a depressed version of me be like? That'd be interesting. But it hasn't kicked in. Like ever since the heart attack, I've just felt great. Physically, I feel great because they opened up a fully blocked artery, which means that I wasn't getting nearly as much oxygen blood flow to my heart um, as I could have. And oddly, I didn't like suddenly go like, well, now I'm taking the reins off. Life's going to be off the hook. I I always kind of lived doing what I wanted to do, yes. you know? So like, if there's something I was interested in, I mean, you look no further than than the movie Tusk to see like, mm-hmm. well, he pretty much does whatever he wants. <laughs> and then I now, of course, naturally, like I got a lot of podcasts, I'm always out there talking. It's fed the last few months of like content and material. And the nice thing about it too, is you get try to be entertaining about something dire, but more importantly, it gets communicated to some cats who like me maybe didn't know what a heart attack symptom is like i you know i'm a child of tv and movies so i was waiting for something big like fred sanford in sanford and something like elizabeth clutching your chest and yeah, very like dramatic the pain down the arm that's what you hear about yeah. is like your arm will go numb or and or you won't be able like you'll feel like an elephant's on your chest that, those things didn't happen and the things that did happen happens normally anyway like i felt nauseated before i sweat when i breathe like you know, I've gone cold before. Okay. Um, so these were never, to me, known to be like possible heart attack symptoms. No, and the Widowmaker, the heart attack, was the one I had. The artery that goes across the front of the heart is the LAD. That was the one that was 100% blocked. That's the one that feeds the heart the most blood, most oxygen. So the doctor was adorable in the operating room. He's like, yep, totally blocked. We're going to give you a stent. And he's like, you know what that is? I was like, my mom has a stent. And he goes, we're going to do that to you. Emergency angioplasty. He said, but I got to tell you this. You're a comic book guy. I said, I am. He goes, that they call this artery the widow maker because in 80% of the cases of 100% blockage, the people die. He's going, but you're going to be in the 20% because I'm good at my job. And I said, do me a favor, doc. Save my life if you can. He goes, I will. And he and started saving my life. It was crazy. 
so uh so yeah the the widow maker man like i you know people are like you faced the widow maker and you beat the widow maker i laid there <laughs> dr leidenheim beat the widow maker you know i was just i answered his questions he's like are you are you breathing i said yeah i'm doing all right but i was chatting the whole time so i was sitting there like on uh how are you doing down there what are you doing next like what is this exact process who's that guy over there should he be in the room right now like i was paying attention to everything and he goes you're very chatty and I was like, it's how I work through things. So, you know, check your heart. That's great advice. Little PSA. Yeah. yeah. But also, don't be afraid of death, because apparently it wasn't that bad. The better PSA is that. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're all terrified of death. It shapes our lives. It's you know, happen so to all much of us. So. It's coming. No. Embrace it. It's your birthright. You know, you're yep. born into this world. You get to leave this world, man. And, you know, nobody wants to go because we don't know what's on the other side. But having been there... And in reflecting, it wasn't like my life flashed before my eyes. I started thinking about the whole journey because I'm like, this might be the end. You know, there was, I remember my mom died on the table. She was having a heart procedure once and she died. So she was out for like, I don't know, 22 seconds or something, she said, dead. And I asked her on a podcast once, um, I was like, what, what was it like? And she said, not peace. She wasn't like, oh, it's peaceful. She was like, every responsibility I ever had was gone. She's like, so I didn't have to think about this one or that one, or I got to do this or the cats. I got to feed the cats. Like all of a sudden, instantly, I was like, oh, I'm free. And I never wow. understood it when she told me that until I was on the table. I was like, oh, there is a sense of accomplishment. There is a sense of like, and this sounds a little like morbid. And again, I love living. I don't want to die. But there was a sense of you're finished. That's why I love these stories, man. I, like. You know, I'm a 47-year-old man. I still have a great appetite for stories where the worst thing in the world is happening and everybody's running from it, but a select few are running right, right towards it. And generally, they're dressed in a very stylish, flourish way. Those stories have been like, you know, uh, I was raised on stories. I was Catholic, so we had Bible stories our, our whole lives and stuff. Stories that are meant to be morality plays to give you some sort of moral barometer and stuff in your life. My morality came from reading comic books. That's what taught me to be good and taught me to want to be good. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like with, with the books, for me, whenever I opened them up, I built my own morality yeah. based on these stories. And you know what? The Bible was written by a bunch of writers and stuff. My favorite stories were also written by a bunch of writers. And it's so strange to think of your morality as being shaped first on one level by fictional characters, but then on a secondary level by people you'll never meet. Well, I got to meet because I worked in the comic book business, so I met a lot of them. But some folks you'll never meet, they just read the book that in their lives, they were on a deadline, they had a check to make, this was part of their job, they had five other issues to write, and they're like, um, what do I do this week? All right, I'm gonna, let me try to throw a little something in it. And the little something they threw in it takes root in your heart and becomes the foundation of the things you believe in life. The dream of being a helper who puts on a mask and does so in a dramatic sense never goes away. But, you know, one gets older and realizes that, like, not all heroes wear capes, you know, so there are ways to help and be useful to people in this world, you know, without necessarily jumping off the top of a building to do so. <laughs> uh, that's just a really fun example of looking yeah. at it. One of the first things I did when I was laying in the hospital is opened up my Marvel app and I read Born Again by, by uh, Frank Miller, my, one of my favorite Daredevil yeah. runs and stuff. Because it's a gorgeous page, one of my favorite pages in comic book history. Matt Murdock's life was, spoilers, Kingpin dismantles Matt Murdock's life without telling Matt Murdock that he's going to do so. Does it quietly from the shadows. And how he does so is because Matt Murdock, uh, just like in the TV show now, 
Karen Page is part of Matt Murdock's life. Karen Page worked at the offices of Nelson and Murdoch. But then at one point, Karen Page disappeared from the scene. So Frank Miller brought the character back in, introduced her as, at one point, she wanted to go off to be an actress. So he took her in an arc where that didn't work out. And she became a junkie as well yeah. and stuff. So it's an important part of the story because she sells Matt Murdock's secret that he's Daredevil for a, for a price, for a fix. And they trace that information all the way. It gets to the kingpin. Kingpin learns it. And he immediately has anyone that's touched that paper killed. So he'll be the only one that has the information. Then systematically goes about quietly dismantling Matt Murdock's life. It's a breathtaking story as you watch Matt Murdock struggle with madness because he's just like, I know somebody's behind this, but everything seems so circumstantial that, you know, maybe from the outside it would look like this is all in your head. He slowly loses it. Kingpin compounds it by having somebody dress up like Daredevil and beat the shit out of Matt. He just ruins his life. Nelson Murdock building gets destroyed. Matt's wealth is gone. Takes him down to nothing. I believe the line is, I will show him a man without fear is a man without hope. And so Matt Murdock is a hero at heart and you don't need the costume. I'm going to get cry. I'm going to get wet eyed talking about it. You don't need the costume to be Daredevil. That's kind of what the arc is about ultimately. So Karen Page feels horrible about what she's done. And she's also being uh, pursued by this killer pimp and stuff. She wants to get away from him. And in her drug adult state, she's like, if I could just get to Matt, Matt will fix everything. I have to get to New York and get to Matt. So the whole series, this backstory of her getting to New York and she's hooked up with this killer pimp. She tries to bust away from him and stuff. He's going to kill her in an alleyway. She's is, is so heartbreaking. She's uh, and very real. You got to remember, this was in a comic book in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. So nowadays you'd see this in a comic book. It's in every comic book. Even in an issue of Archie, they're dealing with, you know, something harrowing. But this was at a time where people didn't write like this. And Frank Miller was just destroying it, just turning like Daredevil into something beyond what he was when he was created. Yeah. And you have David Mazzucchelli's art, which is spellbinding stuff. Incredible. My favorite, my single favorite piece is a splash page. Artwork of any comic book I've ever read. Karen Page is in an alley. She's going to shoot up. She's going to spike because this guy's going to shoot her. So she's like... One last time. She's going to go out high. She feels like she, she knows she's going to die. Out of nowhere, a dude's labeled his gun at her. Billy Club comes out of nowhere, knocks the gun out of his hand. Matt Murdock, dressed like Matt Murdock, is, is a stunning panel of her bawling and him holding her oh, in man. his arms. I got, I got chills it's just a, now. Think, like, because it tells like, such an incredible story that like, she destroyed this man's life. But he saved her. Yeah, like it didn't matter. It's Forgiveness stuff like oh. and redemption, and like the the path, the the. So an old Catholic like me, that just went like right to the heart. That's why I wound up writing Daredevil years later because I love that run so much. Like you know, I always talked about like loving it, and then Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiotti took over Marvel Knights at one point, and they knew that I loved Daredevil, so they were like, "Do you want to write Daredevil?" And at first I was like, "Yeah," and then like two weeks later, I was like, I was too scared to do it because I'm like, I ain't Frank Miller. I'm a this up so i backed out of it and joe was really cool joe was like well i understand i wish you would do it i have more confidence in you but i understand he was the good cop jimmy palmiotti was the bad cop and then he called me up he's like you're a piece of man we offered you the best job in the world and you told us you were gonna do it and then you broke joe's heart by not doing it watch you're scared you can't write he's going man up write the comic book i was like all right and so i got back on and wrote it and it was one of the best things i ever did that comic book arc is something that i still eat off of 
today. People still like, I loved Guardian Devil, man. That's like something I did back during Dogma. It's 20 years old. We're yeah. coming up on the Marvel Knights 20th oh, anniversary. I, was, I remember very specifically reading the collection, the, the first collection. So I remember reading that at a hardcore show and like there was this Christian hardcore band going off. They were great. I don't even remember what they're called, but they were great. And like, there's all this striper. going on. They weren't hardcore they, enough. No, <laughs> and, but I was reading, I, like I should have been in the moment in this room with this music, this energy, this scene. But I was, I rem very distinctly remember flipping the pages going, like reading that book. And that was a really important book for me. It was Thank really you. wonderful. Stuff. That was where I learned to write comics. I'd been a comic book fan forever. And I'd written a Jay and Silent Bob comic prior to that for Oni, a one shot, which was fun. But I learned to write comic books, and I actually learned to become a better filmmaker, if you could believe that. Um, some people are like, no, I've seen your movies. But, uh, but by working with Joe Quesada. Because when we did the first issue, he goes, just tell me what's happening. And so I wrote like kind of a two-pager that covered the whole issue. And he went and drew. And then he came back, and I dialogued it. And that was true Marvel method. Yeah. Absolute Marvel method. He's like, that's how Stan and Jack did it. So... I loved what he did, um, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, crap, there's things missing, like things I wanted in there that's not in there. And you realize they were not going to be in there unless you're the artist yourself or unless you communicate painstakingly mm -hmm. everything you want to be in a frame. So then I, on the second script for issue two, I wrote full script, like where I would describe everything I wanted to see in the panel. And so by the time we got to the third issue, <laughs> Joe was like, you're writing too much. He's like, you know, look at this page. He's going, you have 16 panels on a page. He's going, I got to draw that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to make 16 panels. So I learned to like change my, how, the pace of my storytelling. But then also Joe would take it and run with it. Joe really directed. 1998 Joe. Oh, I, I, I mean, look, 2017 sure. or 18 Joe it, is still, I, yeah. he drew a daredevil picture the other day, threw it up online oh, and yeah, it still yeah. took my breath away. Yeah. But yes, but like, that I'm, was Joe on fire Joe becoming coming, the Joe. Uh, like he was on that, like you could not stop him. And he was working on a character he loved yep. and he was given free reign over a bunch of books at Marvel at a company he loved. You know what I'm saying? Every, yeah. the stage was set right. And so he was doing like career best work. So, you know, first issue, I'm like, oh, it'll be this. By the second issue, I was like, we're doing something special here. And I was, I paid way more attention. But I watched him do crazy things. Like there was one two page like that had, I think like it was a Karen and Matt conversation in bed. And I had like 32 panels over a splat, a double splash page. And what Joe did was turn it into something far more cinematic where he started with a picture of them up here drawing. And then in the corner of the bottom of the page was like Matt by himself. And so you got the impression that it was a flashback. So beautifully directed. So I always think of that book as like, I definitely wrote it, but Joe directed it. He made it what it was. And he was also very instrumental in the, like the, the one of the covers in, in, in the book, uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker and Matt Murdock have a conversation um, and I had him having that conversation where on the, the gravestone of Gene DeWolf from Peter Wolf's yeah, yeah. The Death the, of Gene DeWolf. Peter David's and the, the Spider-Man Wolverine. Yes. That whole story, yeah. So, but Joe was like, I don't know, dude. If we're having him talk to Peter, it should be more significant. So we wound up speaking on the Queensboro Bridge, which is where Gwen Stacy died. So, like, he, like... I was a fan, but he was a Marvel guy at heart. As we've seen, he's been here for better part of 20 years, 25 years now or whatever. So when he got that job, it was like watching somebody fire on all cylinders. Like the table was perfectly set. Yeah. 
And look what it did. It raised him up to a position to in where Marvel he where he is. Yeah. Uh, we have to wrap up soon. But, JB, you... You, you had some really cool questions about process and, and thoughts. You were kind of in my head speaking to how comic comic book panels, you you have to direct them. Yeah. And I was wondering, what did you, you saw Joe Casada do that. What did you take away from that? Like when you I took ma- away from that that you- I'm not a director, <laughs> and, and, which is weird to say because that's what I'm supposedly, allegedly what I do for a living. But um, it taught me, number one, trust the person you're working with. And, uh, you know, I'm not the artist. I'm just the writer. And this is a guy who has been drawing since he was a child. Like, it's his passion. So he's so damn good at it. Um, He is also a cinematic storyteller uh, in his own right, in as much as, you know, look, comic book is nothing, no different than storyboards, which is what we all use when we do action sequences in a movie or something like that. Uh, Or, and some people, if you got enough money, you storyboard the entire movie. So Joe had such a great eye, man, that I would lean on his eye. Like, I would write a, a description about what I wanted to see, and then Joe would be like, what if we did this and give me a rough sketch of like what the panel could be as opposed to what I was asking for? And instantly you're like, oh, my God, that's so much better. So you learn in that process to be like, you know, it's it's your world, man. Like, seriously, at the end of the day, this is a visual medium. So the pictures are what's going to guide everyone through the story. As a comic book reader, I was always a writer guy first, which is weird because it is a visual medium. But the visuals are stunning and take care of themselves. And I can't draw, so every picture is amazing to me. So writing is what draws me in. And writing that I can't do when I read something, I'm like, I never would have thought of that. I couldn't do that and stuff. That's what appealed to me. So my comics experience my whole life has been more of a comics reader than a comics devourer. So when I read a book cursory glance at the images i'm all up in the balloons and in the the uh, narration boxes and stuff like that it's more about the uh, dialogue narrative for me than it is for the visual narrative so i only thought with one side of my brain most of my life and then when somebody was like hey it's your time to write a comic book i was still writing a comic book you realize it's a two-member team so i'm with you i leave it's all about what needs to be said and that's how i approached writing the the comic book scripts as well But then Joe, of course, being the artist, taught me that, like, yes, that's important. But let's be honest, it's a comic book. Like, somebody who can't read will look at this story and they should be able to follow it along. So suddenly I started using the other side of my brain, more visually oriented. And when you watch somebody bringing something you've written to life, even something as dopey as the shading detail in a room, how the room is lit, suddenly you realize you're like, oh, there's so much more I could be informing uh, as the writer that I could be telling the artist of things that I want to see. And then there there are artists like um, uh, Greg Capullo, like Scott Snyder and Greg work together. They've been on my podcast. And Greg, as the artist, he doesn't want a script where the writer's like, you know, I want the cat to be sitting uh, four feet from the character speaking. There needs to be this. Uh, the room looks like this. He's like, bro, that's my job. Like, you know, I, I want to bring something to it as well. I got my own ideas of what everything's going to look like and stuff. And so you find a wonderful blend ship and, and that's how a comic book happens. Yeah. But I was lucky enough to learn under an absolute best if they do a Marvel. A master. I mean, like. Truly a master. If they do a Marvel Mount Rushmore one day, like Casada's face will be up there. Yeah. He's been important to this company. Yeah. Comparing it to the TV movie script, Mm -hmm. you know, at least with comics, you don't have to work with actors. Bless the actors. Yes. Yes. But don't be, don't fool yourself. Some of those characters are harder to work with. (laughs) I I believe that. I've seen their attitudes. What a (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that 
is the perfect <laughs> note to end this on. Uh, I do want to give one shout out to our listener, uh, Brian. He recently, he was in the hospital. I sent him a bunch of comics to read. He also is a huge fan, and he said he watched all your movies uh, while sweet. he was laid up in the hospital. Uh, so we'll thinking give him a about- shout out. Brian, feel so much better. While in the hospital, uh, having just been there recently myself, my only piece of advice is uh, don't eat the food. Thank you for being here, Thank Kevin. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Find Kevin everywhere. Yeah, There's you can't avoid me. So many podcasts and TV shows and and so many cool things. It's Showtime it's awesome. special May 11th. Yeah. Watch it and see if you can tell I'm about to die. <laughs> it's fun to watch from an anthropomorphic level as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we asked you guys to send us some oh, yes, tweets your, and stuff about your your, your Marvel pets. your Marvel themed pets. Yeah, so we got a couple of them in here in our community section. Let's see, there was one from Sergio at Surge Two K Twelve saying, uh, "This is Thor and Loki. They are brothers from the same litter. I'll let you guess which one is which." Hint. Thor is the pretty boy, and it's this amazingly adorable picture. Oh, my God. They are baby dachshunds. Dachshunds. They are baby dachshunds wearing capes. Oh, my God. And they are so cute. They are adorable. They are absolutely adorable. There's also a very cute Jacoby, which I'm assuming is a Jack Russell and Beagle mix, which is how do you get any cuter? And his name is Uncle Ben. Well, his name is Ben, but... He's named after Uncle Ben, yeah. which is, and he is so cute. That's from longtime listener Kelsey Knobloch. Thank you, Kelsey. And we also have from Chris Vaughn, Immortal Thor 99, has the Loki the dog of mischief, and he looks very mischievous. I love it. Uh, Amanda Ah Francis uh, she says, I know I have sent him in before, but because Jamie is new and I'm finally caught up, yes. here is a photo of my Marvel themed pet, Odin, the All Father, destroyer of literally anything near the ground and soft, he will pee on it. And you know what? He's got such a I'll put him on him that I just want to let him do whatever he wants. Yeah. He's adorable. He's got an underbite, just like my dog Peggy. And I just, I dig a dog with an underbite. It's the cutest thing ever. And also, since we are not a dog-centric show, despite me talking about dogs all the time, send in your cats. We had, I think we had a cat, but- We had but a snake? We had a snake. Snake. The real McCoo sent us a snake named Madam Hydra, and she is gorgeous. Awesome. She is uh, gorgeous. Kelsey also tweeted saying, got to give a shout out to the fantastic comic cubicle in Williamsburg, Virginia, for being my first ever local comic shop. Very nice. Heck yeah. Joshua Cooper says that, Jamie, you are doing the Lord's work <laughs> by trying to get me to spill my secrets. That's right. It's not happening. One day. One day. <laughs> Joshua Cooper also says, one wonders why Tom Taylor would ruin Ryan's day by making Namor put on clothes in X-Men Red. Hashtag sexy Namor. You know, Joshua, I agree with you. There is no reason for Namor to wear anything. I mean, uh, he's got to wear his little his little underoos, but fine. I get it. You know, we got to keep it somewhat PG. There are so many, like, good-looking men in the Marvel Universe mm-hmm. that it's, like, destroying how I see men in real life. So I need to, like, I was reading some old Hawkeye and there's like some funny hot Hawkeye. Captain America is not that funny, but he's hot. But like Moon Knight is so hot. (laughs) Like Mark Spector is so hot. So you like beat up Hawkeye. Yeah. And uh, dealing with a lot of stuff Moon Knight. Yeah. Got it. You got to type. 
I do. I, I like my men beat up, destroyed, and vulnerable and trying to make themselves strong again. Perfect. Back to the tweets. Uh, Simon Williams says, reading Mighty Thor at the gates of Valhalla, it's good to see that Jane's story will continue, whether or not she's Thor. Also, I wish we didn't have to wait until next year for War of the Realms. Simon, you have no idea what is coming with War of the Realms. I was actually Was putting, this part of the retreat? Yeah, I was putting together my notes of the retreat for some other folks, and I was just remembering all the stuff that Jason was talking about. It's, it's going to be well worth the wait. I promise you that. You want to read the next one? Sure. Uh, from Lance Presley, New West Coast Avengers with both Hawkeyes. I really love how Clint has, over the years, accidentally become the go-to superhero mentor. That was such a fun conversation with Kelly Thompson. Yeah. And uh, we both tapped into our our age, really, with our 90s, well, the 80s, 90s, California. Like, I'm so psyched for West Coast Avengers, being even as a total East Coast girl who's so anti-California and beachy because I'm too pale to handle the sun. But I am so excited to, like, kind of get a taste for some 90s or 80s looking nostalgia, but mm-hmm. also some really fun characters who maybe aren't going to work together that great, but we're going to get to watch it. So that's the most fun part. Yeah. Shouts to Kelly being on Women of Marvel. Yes. Coming up real soon. Two in from Brian Stranko giving us an update on his Marvel podcast listen through. He's in the current year. And uh, he just listened to episode 322, which was Ben Morris's final. He says, the show won't be the same without your insight and wrestling metaphors. Thanks for being a part of the podcast for so long. Shout out to Ben. Got lots to come. It's really exciting. Last one of the week is from Evan Kingston. <laughs> says, after hearing H&M talk up his fashion choices over the past week, I was a little disappointed when I tried looking up Dargo Couture and spelled it <laughs> like fashion, C-O-U-T-U-R-E, only to find it as Dargo Couture, K-T-O-R. <laughs> I was not, however, disappointed with Dargo's fashion choices. And Look this at beautiful that. picture. Look at that. In all his mulleted, caped, spiked glory. Ugh. I am getting my hair cut this weekend, and I'm bringing this picture. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Check out next week, uh, and stay tuned for the bonus episode with all our amazing comic creators. And we'll be back with more. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.